That's me. Why did I do that? Maybe more importantly, why did it work? And why did it matter? Endurance sports have historically struggled to capture the imagination of the broader American public. If you're interested in a podcast called Threshold and you get it, meaning what Threshold means and why it might be a cool name for an endurance sports podcast, you're already in my tribe. Yet, as a TV sport in America, our sports feel like they've been on a perpetual threshold of breaking through to mainstream America for quite some time. In recent years, and I mean the last 15 or so, with the proliferation of more and more television covering ever more content on more channels, and now streaming on the internet, television, or television-like content, is reaching ever broader, more niche interests, regularly. I know a lot of endurance sport folks are both excited by this, and often frustrated at a perceived hesitance of our media not covering endurance sports more regularly. Then, there are the Olympics. And, here comes Diggins. Tokyo 2021 is moments away, as we all try to log a few more winks of sleep in preparation for the onslaught we know is coming of 24-hour cable coverage of our favorite sporting event, Threshold dives into endurance sport on American television and how the Olympics frame the whole thing, and how a moment might be all the difference, and maybe still not enough. My guests today are the producer for that call for NBC Sports at the 2018 Winter Olympics, Michael Shames, and play-by-play commentator on that call with me, Steve Schlanger. Michael, whom we call Shames and always have, so you just have to get used to that. Anyway, Shames is a TV producer. He is responsible for managing and delivering a television program, sort of the person in charge of the end result. So the guy who basically tells me and Steve kind of what to do. Steve is a television sports play-by-play commentator whom, besides a reputation for precision and meticulous attention to detail and preparation, has perhaps the most prolific portfolio of both mainstream American sports as well as endurance sport experience on American TV. In a few days, Steve will assume his sixth Olympic Games assignment for NBC Sports in Tokyo. As we prepare for all the imminent excitement of the Tokyo Olympics, we examine endurance sports TV in the United States, and we anticipate what great moments may arise in Tokyo, and we revisit the Pyeongchang call of Keegan Randall's and Jesse Diggins' gold medal in the team sprint. James, Steve, welcome to Threshold. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks, Chad. <laughs> he already screwed it up. He thanked the I wrong person. Do it again. Do it again. There's only three of us. <laughs> he thanked the wrong person. <laughs> You're welcome. You're not used to being on this side of the microphone, are you? Not in the slightest. <laughs> not in the slightest. Well, guys, I'm used to telling people what to say. Well, we'll, we'll roll into the show laughing. So thanks for, thanks for coming on Threshold, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Chad. Okay, so first question, I, I usually open things up really simple, you know, starting things out. Tell us a little bit about how each of you got into sports television. Why don't we start with the producer, Shames? Uh, the way I got into TV was, uh, you know, kind of a fluke. I, I used to be an actor. I used to be a singer and dancer, actually. Met my wife touring with uh, Hello, Dolly and Carol Channing back in the uh, mid-90s. Um, I was a chorus boy. She was one of the leads. Um but then uh, after doing that for making a living doing that for about four or five years, I thought it'd be really cool to get into sports TV. I, I'd always told myself that if there was something else I wanted to do uh, that might interest me, I should go pursue it. 
so I went into, uh, I started looking into sports TV. I got a job as an intern on a, on a basketball documentary and uh, just went from there. I worked at HBO after that and then moved out to LA and worked for Fox Sports for a few years, uh, worked for G4 Network. Uh, and then I ended up at Universal Sports and ultimately met Steve Schlanger and uh, my career took off from there. <laughs> so, so Steve, we kind of have a, I mean, I don't really know the full story. We've talked a little bit about it, but we both kind of got, got started with the same guy. I think Kent Gordis kind of got, got you into endurance sports at least. Isn't that kind of the, the case? Well, he got me into cycling. Cycling, and that's what it was. Yeah. The reason that happened was because that was back during the time that, um, Lance Armstrong was winning the Tour de France, at least officially at that time. Um, and that's kind of what got me interested in the sport. And I was also kind of starting my TV career at that time. And I was doing a lot of the traditional sports, basketball, football, baseball, things like that. Um, but I wanted to try and find an avenue into cycling. And as we all know and have come to know even more over the years, not a lot of people do cycling, right? Um, and at the time, I made some phone calls, and I remember that um, the Tour of California had just started, and ESPN was covering it. So I, I literally cold-called ESPN just to find out who was producing it, because I figured that was my first step to try and find an avenue in. And nobody knew, and they sent me to these different departments, and one thing led to another, and I just wasn't getting anywhere with who was running the production. And as luck would have it, somebody actually called me back a few days later um, and told me about Kent Gordis. He was like an outside producer handling it for ESPN. I called Kent, sent him a reel, and we started communicating. And then after that, he hired me for, uh, you know, a few races. And, you know, we've never looked back. Cool. So this is a podcast on endurance sports. And, and neither of you are really endurance sports people, per se. But but you both have worked hey, on Hey, hey, hey. I, I, don't, don't speak for shames like that. Come on. <laughs> You don't know about his endurance well, hello, these days. Hello, I just Dolly's three a three miles before I did this before you recorded this, just for the record. Hey, hello, Dolly is an endurance is an it endurance is. event. Hello, so you, you, this this is basically the dynamic the three of us have always had. If you if, for the people listening to this podcast, but you know, so so neither of you are really. I mean, I'll just go back to it. neither of you are really endurance sports people, but but you've been you've both been in American sports TV. Uh, Shames, you're one of the first producers I ever worked with who was working for an actual network featuring Olympic sports and Steve, you, you, you know, you've done a lot of triathlon. You're You're going to the Olympics to do triathlon and cycling and you've done Nordic skiing with me. What do you two see as these sports, these endurance sports, greatest hurdles to the American TV market? And, and what are the biggest strengths? Uh, uh, either one of you just jump in. Uh, I mean, I think I've been thinking about this since we said we were going to do this podcast. It, the biggest problem that endurance sports have um, to the American audience is it's just is is the length right? American audience has a short attention span. Um, they like their sports in quick snippets. They like their highlights, easy and quick. A home run, a dunk, um, a touchdown pass, right? Those are the things that they're used to. Um, and you can't. It's hard to boil a six-hour cycling race down to a highlight. Um, it's hard to take a cross-country skiing race and boil it down to just a 30 second clip. Obviously there's the finish, but there's so much more to it in endurance sports, right? The race, it, it's, it's the whole race. Um, and it's all about storytelling too. Um, a lot of, a lot of sports fans, a lot of sports networks, um, NBC aside, um, a lot of sports networks really cover what I call the, the you know, the meat and potatoes of sports. It's stats driven. 
it's 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 score, it's odds, it's it's betting, it's things like that. And when you get to endurance sports, when you get to cycling or anything that really just is is not just action, 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 where it, it kind of is a slow burn, it it's storytelling. Um, and and you need to be able to absorb it all to really appreciate it. Um, the, pe- the, the people I talk to, the Americans I've talked to that are big cycling fans, watch every moment of the Tour de France this month, right? They watch it all. And they know, they don't just watch an hour here, or a half hour here, or turn it on for five minutes, like you can do with a lot of, with basketball or football or baseball, um, or get the highlights, get the sum up at, uh, at 11 o'clock at night, or whatever it is. Um, they need, you need to really put some time in. And it's not, that's not the American tradition when it comes to sports. Um, yeah, and I, I think there's a few things. One is what Shames talked about, and to expand on that a little bit, it's just the instant gratification. And you don't get that in some of these endurance sports. In football, for instance, even though a touchdown might not be scored on every play, something happens. You're trying to build toward that touchdown by getting a first down. So you're gaining yards, you're losing yards, you're doing something on every play that's giving you that instant gratification. In a triathlon, it's not that exciting to watch people just run because they're not gaining anything moment by moment. It's a process, all right? Um, so I think, you know, in addition to what Shame said, that's a big part of it. I think another aspect to it, it's cultural. It's what you have come up watching, learning, absorbing, and that's also something that ties into what he said about the Tour de France, which is kind of fascinating if you think about it. So uh, there are a lot of people who are Tour de France fans, who watch the Tour de France religiously year after year. But those people aren't necessarily cycling fans. A lot of those people don't also watch the Tour of Italy, the the Tour of Spain, the World Championships. They don't even care. They watch the Tour de France. So there's a difference between fans of an event and fans of a sport. And then I think the third thing that also works against the endurance sports is they're really not team sports in the classic sense of what we have in the U.S. It's not the Green Bay Packers. It's not the New York Giants. It's not the Chicago Cubs or the Boston Red Sox. When you grow up in a city, it's easy to root for a team in these Sports like we're talking about here, these endurance sports, these are individuals who are changing all the time, so it's not as easy to follow. So you add all of that together, and those are just a combination of hurdles for these sports to get serious traction in a meaningful, sustained way. Right. And, and right. Steve, by the way, thank you for including the New York Giants <laughs> in your list. Uh, I was going to say, I was decide, do I do Jets or Giants? <laughs> yeah, no, you got to do it. <laughs> um, but um, just, to, just to tag that, too, another thing that's a big hurdle is accessibility. Um, is you, to watch these sports, you really have to seek them out. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and, and the Tour de France aside, it's it's always been something that's always been something that's on. But if you want to watch other cycling races, you got to go looking for them. Yeah, and they might yeah. they might be on NBC Sports Network. Uh, they would they might be on some web streaming thing. You might have to find some. You know, you, you have to go looking for it. And then and then we're just talking cycling, which is kind of out there in in the American culture. Um, when you get to the other sports, when you get to marathons and 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 uh, again cross country skiing or you know anything, any of these sports, they're so foreign to Americans that they have to go looking for them to right. go find them, and it's just another hurdle. Um, and also, again, just to 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 put, you mentioned that how there's not a lot of cycling announcers in America. Um, when you watch these sports, and a lot of them, especially a, a 
while ago, they used to air mostly with, you know, with British announcers. And it's, it's hard to, for an American audience to watch a foreign sport for them. They're watching a foreign sport with foreign voices. And it just makes it harder and harder for them to become a part of it. And one of the things that's one of the things we really tried to do when we were at Universal Sports um, and what NBC continues to try to do um, is really try to bring these Olympic sports, all of these endurance sports included, um, with an American point of view to an American audience. Yeah, that, you stole my next question. Now, you know, what, what are the strategies? What are the, that was my next question. What are the strategies that, that an NBCSN or, uh, you know, when you were at, when you were at the, the, the startup at Universal before it was really enveloped by NBC um, Sports, you know, were, you were surrounded by endurance sport people. I mean, that, that's really who owned the rights, wasn't it? I mean, isn't that how that's, that network kind of came about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know all the details about how the network came about, but, but, I, but I do know that the guys who ran it were, were into marathons and cycling and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And I think that's, again, that's, that's, the, that's the end to the American culture um, at all and to, the, to these, you know, so-called random sports, which aren't so random to the three of us, obviously, and to a big, big chunk of the audience, um, is p- people run. Right. People do run. They do. They do triathlons. They might do those at home. But to get people to watch these things is a totally other, a a different hurdle. And again, like like I was saying, what, you know, our job uh, for Steve and I and you too, Chad, obviously, as storytellers um, for this is to tell these stories with the American point of view. Um, And uh, again, yet another challenge is you watch a lot of these sports and the Americans aren't winning. They might every now and then, but these aren't American-dominated sports. Um, you know, you watch basketball, and if you even if you watch the Olympics, the Americans are going to win. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you watch swimming, you watch track and field even. The Americans do extremely well at those sports at the Olympics, and people are going to watch those, and they really get excited. But you watch cycling, and a Dutch person wins. You watch cross-country skiing, and the Norwegians are winning, or the Finns are winning. Um, you watch marathons, and it's, you know, it's, it's the... It's the Kenyans, the Ethiopians. It's just harder for an American audience to get involved. But what we tr- always tried to do at Universal Sports, and again with, at NBC, is try to make sure we're always telling the American story and to do what it takes to do that. Um, and, and that's always been our biggest goal and biggest challenge. The historical issue that has always been difficult to solve, and I don't know if you'll ever really crack the nut, is the fact that Outside of the Olympics, a lot of these sports don't really have a big stage to perform on, at least not one that's identifiable and where people can really get invested in. I mean, again, going back to the other big sports in the U.S., you know what's at stake every Sunday in the NFL. You know what's at stake in the NHL playoffs or the NBA or when you get to the World Series or, you know, in individual sports, whether it's the Masters or the U.S. Open, whatever the case may be, you know what's at stake and how big those events are. Outside of the Olympics, if you go to a sport like triathlon and you have some random event in Birmingham, England, what does it mean to an American audience? There's just no currency to that. I mean, these those are uh, things like what would be considered a regular season event for them, but it really doesn't mean anything. And for, you know, for track and field, they have the Diamond League, and that's their professional series, but a Diamond League event in Doha just doesn't register 
the same way as these events do when they're at the Olympics. And it's such a disparity between the Olympics and everything else. It's not even close. And that's the big challenge is how do you get that to at least close the gap to make it more meaningful when you're in those non-Olympic cycles? Right. Well, I'm sorry, Go ahead. Go ahead. Up on that. You know, you mentioned the Diamond League. I mean, I think what a lot of these sports lack are these like superstars that kind of transcend the sport themselves. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we, you get your Tiger Woods, um, you get your, at the time, Lance Armstrong, um, who kind of transcended the sport at the time, going to always qualify that. Um, but then, but then you get to track and field and you get a Usain Bolt who, if he was going to run in a quote unquote regular season event at a diamond league event, that would make news. Um, and it, it might make a highlight on, uh, on sports center. Um, if, if he runs a hundred meters in, at a random event in Birmingham, um, you get these people that people care about, um, beyond just the, the, the sports fan, the, the fans of that, those particular sports. But, um, a lot of these endurance sports don't have that. They might have big, they're going to have big stars, obviously for people who are fans and watch it. There's always the favorites, but, but you, but to, if you can get somebody who really transcends all that, it, it would make a huge difference, but right. That's. But no one can control that. That's a, you know, it's a one in a million. Right. That's, a, that's, a, that's also one of the issues, too, though, because if you don't have that star, how do you get people to watch? If Tiger Woods misses the Masters, people are still going to watch the Masters, right? Because right, it's, right. The, it's the Masters. But if you don't have a Usain Bolt, how do you get them to watch that Diamond League event? So, um, you know, it, it's the constant, you know, it's the, the tug of war, right? Because you need that superstar to be there, but you don't want to have to always rely on them because, you know, right. they're not always going to be there. Right. No, but also but if Tiger Woods is in contention at the, you know, at the Bay Hill Invitational uh, on, a, on a random Sunday, people will watch because Tiger Woods is playing, but le- they won't watch if he's not, right? Um, there's still golf fans that are going to watch, just, just like there are track and field fans that are going to watch the Diamond League events, but when a Usain Bolt's running, more people will tune in, and it might be on NBC. It might be on a major network at that point. You never know. Anyways. I think we've we've strayed a little bit, but no, no, this is great. This is exactly what I want to get into because I think that really, really what the listener of this podcast is, is all about is you know, I've spent my life in these sports and, and I, and I'm trying, you know, Steve and I have worked together and and the three of us have worked together on, on, in projects, at least we've done the tour to ski a bunch of times together for, for cable television. We've done the Olympics together. We did, we're going to talk about a, a big moment for us, but, um, so just from, from the two of you, your perspectives, um, aside from the Olympics, how do you, how do you get in front of people? How are there, are there any things about these sports that you think that we, that, that American television could do better to make them more, um, or, or, or the, I, or the IFs could do to change the formats, to make it more attractive to an American, you know, a more of a, of a general American, an audience. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? Obviously we, we spent, we spent, uh, I started working at Universal Sports back in 2008. Um, and coming, when I started working there, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? <laughs> I, I, I got, I went there to work on the Paralympics. Um, uh, we were turning the Paralympics around on tape delayed coverage, you know, months later. Um, I think we aired our coverage in November, uh, in 08 that year. And we were the American coverage of the Paralympics that year. Um, to just give you a sign of what state we were in then. Um, but when I started working there, I just, you know, I had no idea that anybody covered these Olympic sports outside the Olympics. I literally remember 
going into the control room one day, um, this was like January of 09, and uh, the tortoise ski was was you guys were doing the tour to ski and I, I I I think I think you were there, Chad. Were you? I don't know if you were there in 09. No, uh, I I think I got the I think I got the I, my my tryout my first tryout was 09 in March to to do the Olympics. So you, did you have Paul Robbins? I mean, you might have had. Paul I, I don't Robbins. know. I don't remember. I don't remember if Steve was doing it. But I remember walking in there and going, "Wait, they're calling cross country skiing." First of all, how do you call cross country skiing? And who does that? Who knows anything about these sports that can actually <laughs> talk about them? Like literally, this was as someone who's coming from the outside, right. working in more mainstream sports and, and and other TV before that. That was what I walked into, and then I my eyes were quickly opened um, that year um, to discover all of these sports and and fall passionately in love with all these sports. I might say right, <laughs> and yeah. um, but but that's the challenge is they're they're not like I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Like I didn't even yeah. know it even existed in the states, right. and here I was, and, and suddenly I'm, I'm trying to produce it and trying to make people get people to watch this, and 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 it's it's so that that's the biggest challenge I have when I tell people what, what, that I work on the Olympic sports. When I worked at Universal Sports, they were like, "What do you cover when the Olympics aren't covering?" I'm like, "There are so many events people don't even know," um, and I think what's been good over the past, you know, I guess it's been you know 12 years, 13 years since then. Is something uh, the network like uh, uh, NBC has 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 covered it more and more and more um, all of these sports um, on a network like NBC Sports Network that is that everybody has um, you know and uh, they put more and more into the Olympics into the Paralympics to get it out there and to really make sure they're covering these sports more than just every four years they're covering it more and I think that's really the the the, the best thing to do is to just get it out there as much as possible in places where people can easily find it. Um, and, and that's the hard thing. Yeah. So, so how, how did you get, how did both of you, like, you know, you both came from, you know, Steve, wasn't, wasn't do wasn't riding his bike and racing before he got into calling cycling. And, and, and you, you know, you just explained how you got into it. So, so, Tell me some of the some of the hooks that got you into it, other than the fact that you made a paycheck, or you both make paychecks calling these sports. I mean, that's an easy way to get hooked on something. But, but I know my, I've worked with both of you. I know you guys both like these these sports. And tell me, what are some of the hooks that got you into them and made you um, more interested besides getting getting paid to do it? Well, for me, when you're calling sports as a play by play guy. Uh, you look for things and you enjoy doing things, at least I do, that allow you to, I guess, flex certain muscles, right? You like calling the straight play-by-play where it's A to B to C, where you have exciting moments, but also where you can use some of the research that you do and tell stories. You can have fun. You can interact with your analyst. Um, you know, you can bring a sense of humor. You can tell the, the human interest stories. And you can do all of this within the confines of a particular show. Some sports don't allow that. Um, you know, I've done I've done hockey a lot, and there's not a lot of storytelling in hockey. It's largely just play by play, keeping up with the action all the way through. Um, but some of these sports really allow that, especially like like cycling and like triathlon. You really tell the stories of the athletes, and it allows that breathing room that opens up all of these possibilities for you know these different muscles that you can exercise and for a play by play guy it's kind of unique and it's it's kind of enjoyable on my end yeah 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't. I've only called the two, the two sports I, I, I call, which is biathlon and Nordic, but or in cross country and Nordic combined, the three sports. But one thing I've always like, I, I've looked at like people across across the hall at NBC, like doing other sports. I always feel like we're kind of like an, we we have a no net below us kind of sports. You know, like like people are really comfortable doing what they do in in the big money sports, but but these smaller sports. You know, you do it just like that. You go down to the event and you figure it out. And it, and it's actually probably pretty fun work by comparison. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, again, the variety is what really keeps me right. going. Um, yeah. And uh, like like you said, right, I, I remember, I think I was in, Steve, <laughs> I think it was in London, um, at the Olympics in London, um, uh, Doc Emmerich was supposed to call all the water polo. Um and uh, I think he got sick and he couldn't, there was, it was a huge volume of, of, of games that he was scheduled to call. Um, and he, and he, and he got sick. Um, like a, it might've been a cold, whatever, but he needed to conserve his voice for the American matches. So they, they went to some other play by play people that were, that were in London to, to come and call some of the water polo. And Steve, am I wrong? I think they, they turned to you and said, Steve, you call some water polo. And you're like, Oh great. The first time I'm going to call water polo. It's for the Olympics. Um. <laughs> well, I, re- I remember. I remember getting the call in my hotel room. I had just done the road cycling race on day one of the Olympics. All right, first day and my first Olympics too. So that was day one, event one of my first ever Olympics. I'm back in my hotel room. I get the call and say, "Hey, great job. Uh, now, do you mind doing some water polo for us?" <laughs> and I, re- my, I remember my response was, "Well, if you want me to, sure, but I got to tell you." that not only have I never called water polo, I've never actually seen a full water polo match. <laughs> I think I might have gone to like one half of a high school game back when I was a sophomore. Um, but I don't think I've actually seen a full match. So the rules, some of the, you know, nitpicky uh, technicalities, things like that, I'm not fully aware of. And they're like, ah, you'll be fine. And, you know, <laughs> I dug in, did some research, pulled an all-nighter, and, you know, away we went. But but that but that's the point, right? Is like Steve is experienced at learning these new sports for sure. Yeah, and, I, and he said, yeah. and I, I guarantee you that anybody watching had no idea that he did not know what he was doing. Um, yeah, that's but, your calling card. That's that, <laughs> that, that's 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 Steve Schlanger. I mean, if you know Steve Schlanger, he's like, okay, who do we call? We need somebody to do this. Call Schlanger. He'll do it. <laughs> He'll do great. We need somebody that can mask all <laughs> of the deficiencies that we don't want to see. <laughs> but it's funny, but, um, and Steve, I don't know your I don't know your take on this, but. Um, one of the things that I always like with, um, you know, we're doing all these sports, right? Again, that people don't know. And there are, there are plenty of times where um, the play-by-play, um, right? There's an analyst who's, an ex- who's usually a, a veteran from the, of the sport or just knows the sport extremely well. But the play-by-play person is going to um, usually just be a, a play-by-play person, right? They might not know the sport that well. They're learning the sport, doing the research. Um, and a lot of times those play-by-play people come into it and say, well, the American audience doesn't know this sport either. So I'm going to play the role of the audience and I'm going to ask questions of my analyst. Like, Chad, what, what, what does this mean when they do this? What do you mean by that? And, and I always like to tell my, my play by play talent, don't do that. Say it as a statement. Come from a source of knowledge, not from, because if you're asking questions, it just make, again, it's another thing that's going to make the audience feel like this is a foreign sport to them. Is they're going to be like, well, you don't even know what's going on. So why am I going to know what's going on? Right. And just, at, you know, so you need to call the sport. And I don't know your take on this, Steve. When you come into these new sports, do you ever do you, do you ever be, play the role of the audience? 
No, not to that serious of a degree. I mean, I think there's a balance. I think it's fair to ask questions um, because you want to ask questions that everybody else would want the know would want the answer to, but something that um, you know you wouldn't be expected to know. I think there's certain basics as a play-by-play guy you should know. You should be expected to know if you're calling a certain sport beyond what the fan, the viewer would know, but. The analyst is there because they are the expert. The play-by-play guy is not expected to be an expert. They are calling the event. They should have a base knowledge. But beyond that, I think it's fair to ask questions. But other things can be posed as a statement um, that leads the analyst in a smart direction to respond to that. So I, I think you know there's some subtlety, some nuance to it, and a balance. I think that's the, the three uh, – you know, I'm going to transition here. I think that's where the three of us really came together – in, in a really magical moment is that we had we had that moment and we had enough experience between the three of us. We had enough comfort between the three of us that we 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 kind of got lucky on a cool moment for a sport that doesn't get cool moments very often. But but I don't get that. So the last time we were at NBC, last time NBC covered the games, the three of us, we, we had a great call that kind of got traction with the American public. But before I get into that, I want to talk to Steve because Steve is actually going to the Olympics probably tomorrow or the next day. Is that right, Steve? Uh, no, not until um, the 21st. So that'll be, you know, we're taping this on a Saturday. That'll be on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, and are you, you're going to Tokyo? No, I'm going, oh, you're going to, to uh, I'm going, I'm going to the, the headquarters, the worldwide headquarters. headquarters. Okay, yeah. worldwide headquarters. The motherland. Yeah, right. And so you're doing, you're doing cycling and triathlon. You have the same, you have the same, uh, you did that the last couple of Olympics, haven't you? No, no, I did. I did this program back in 2012 in London, cycling and triathlon. Um, and then I did a bunch of different sports for the Rio games. And now I'm back to cycling and triathlon this time around. Okay. So what are some of the, what are, you know, if, as you look at cycling and triathlon, what are some, are, are there any stories in your mind going into these games that you think are really could be compelling and, and, and super moments, maybe not, maybe for, for the American audience, maybe for the American, American cyclists or, or just in general, is there something that's really captivating that you think, um, is really interesting to any listener or any, any viewer? Are you talking about in my sports or the Olympics in general? No, in your sports, your sports. Okay. Um, I think, um, in my sports, um, well, first for, let's say men's cycling, um, you're going to have the possibility of Tade Pogaccia, who's about to win the Tour de France for the second time, um, going to Tokyo as probably the favorite for the gold medal. And he would be the first um, cyclist to ever win the Tour de France and an Olympic road race gold medal in the same year. And literally, like just days apart, it's going to be incredible because the Tour de France ends on a Sunday the men's road race is less than a week later. It's on the first full day of competition that Saturday morning in Tokyo. Uh, considering the travel, it's going to be uh, a lot to handle, but right. he seems pretty well equipped. I think that's one <laughs> of the big things on the men's side. Another one of the favorites, because it's a hilly course, is Alejandro Valverde, uh, the Spaniard who is in his 40s, and he is still going strong. I mean, he is going to be, um, I think... Probably, what is it, um, twice as old as a few of the competitors. So, um, you know, some, you know, weren't even born when he was a professional cyclist. And, you know, he, he's going to probably be one of the favorites for a gold medal, uh, considering his ability to climb and it's a hilly course and all that. On the women's side, Chloe Deigert, um is 
going for a gold medal, uh, more likely in the time trial than the road race, but coming back from a horrible injury she suffered at the uh, World Championships last year. She was on her way to a gold medal in the TT. Which she was crushing it. Um, went over a guardrail, sliced her leg up. It's been a long road back. Um, but if she's fully healthy, she's a favorite for a gold medal in the women's time trial at the very least. Um, and then in the, in the triathlon, um, I think... Uh, you know, the Americans had Gwen Jorgensen win right. the gold medal in Rio. She has since shifted to running and tried to qualify as a runner in track and field. Didn't happen at the Olympic trials. Um, but there's a few other women um, for the U.S. who have come up through the ranks who have a shot at a medal as well. So there's some depth um, to that women's side uh, in triathlon. And then on the men's side in triathlon, um, Alistair Brownlee, who's been dominant um, over the last few Olympiads, um, had uh, an ankle injury. He won't be back to defend his gold medal, but his brother Johnny, who's a two-time medalist, uh, he'll be there looking for his first gold medal. So I think those are the you know the big storylines in those sports going in. Yeah, so I, I, I want to kind of fixate on the Gwen Jorgensen thing. Uh, Gwen won, you, I don't think you called triathlon last time, but she did win. She won the gold for the United States. Re- refresh my memory, was that, the, that was the first ever gold medal in, in triathlon for U.S. women. Isn't that correct? Yeah. So, so let's, 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 let's just kind of like juxtapose that against what we all, what we all worked on three years ago, a first ever gold medal in the sport of triathlon. I watched that. I, I watched Glenn, Gwen Jorgensen's gold medal. And I, I was pretty captivated by it. Um, and I, and I think she, I think she did well with it. I think, I think it, I think it played well on American television, but three years ago we were all, you know, we were in the middle of the night in, 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 uh, in, um, in, Connecticut, and we were watching the women's team sprint, and we had the same thing. I mean, Gwen Jorgensen was kind of a a, a, a favorite for the gold, and Jesse Diggins, yeah. So, so, but Gwen Jorgensen, by comparison, Gwen Jorgensen was was as favorite to the to win a gold as Diggins and Randall were in the in the in this cross country ski event, and and, and I th- I've thought about this a lot, and, and I want to get into it. We'll get into it a little bit, but um, what do you think? Are the differences in the two sports that, uh, the, from the event that we called to to the Jorgensen gold medal, that that maybe worked for or against either of the two situations on American television? Uh, what what made them resonate? Yeah, yeah, ways? yeah, oh. yeah, in different ways. Well, I think a guy yelling "Here comes Diggins" at the top of his lungs <laughs> probably had a lot to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I gotta say, I think I think triathlon's relatively new in the Olympics, right? I think it, it made its debut in Sydney. Yeah, I think you're right. Right, I think you're right. So it's it's relatively new in the Olympics. Um, it's the triathlon. It's a you know, it's a there's only it's a it's a two day event, right? There's the men's triathlon, there's the women's triathlon. So it it happens and it goes away. It's kind of an anomaly. Um, at the Olympics, right? These, these small, um, events that don't have these big buildups. Um, and, uh, and I think that's work, one thing that worked against that being a, a huge moment for the, for the Americans. Um, even in Rio, right? And what also happens too is in the Summer Olympics, a lot of some, some American performances get lost in the shuffle because they sure. win so many medals. Right. Sure. So yeah. an American winning a gold in shooting or archery won't really get the publicity um, and triathlon. Right. Won't really get the publicity because track and field, swimming, gymnastics, beach volleyball. Right. They're, those are going to steal the headlines every time. 
It's got to be a great moment or a great story to really steal those headlines. Whereas in the Winter Olympics, um, there's not as much going on, right? right there's a right. lot less. You can sports. stand out. And 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 the Americans, aside from the the newer sports of the freestyle skiing and the snowboarding, um, the Americans don't dominate usually, right? They'll have their stars, they'll have their Lindsey Vons, um, uh, and uh, their Bodie Millers. They'll have people like that that'll kind of transcend. But the um, but a big American moment doesn't happen that often, and right. especially. It's a, it was a first time gold for, for Diggins and Randall. It was also an amazing race. Um, right. It was down to the wire. It came down to half a ski length, I think. And it really was an amazing moment in so many ways. Yeah. Um, let, and, let, let me yeah. back up here before we go further. Sorry, I want to yeah, point yeah. out that the three of us are on this because we know each other. We've known each other for about a decade, actually about 12 years, I think is what I, I figured it out. And, and we ended up calling, a pretty big moment together uh, you know it was it was and we haven't really had a chance to reflect on it and i kind of wanted to go into the go into these games in tokyo and have a podcast on the threshold just talking about th- uh, endurance sport on television and then how this endurance event resonated and, and why and, and that's that's what mike mike is getting into so so shames and, and, and schlanger and I, I think the first time we worked together was 2009 and, and we were pretty comfortable together uh working together in 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 that event um so let's just go back and, and talk about like getting ready for that that day. Like you know, Jesse Diggins hadn't won him. We thought she'd win him. Well, she came close a couple times coming into that night. And, and I remember going back all the way to Sochi when Keegan Randall was supposed to win the sprint event. And the sprint event is really hard to win because you have to keep advancing. And she got knocked out in the quarterfinals. And you know, everybody at NBC is like, going, is this really going to happen?" I mean, I, my, James, I think you asked me, "Is this really going to happen this well, time?" I, I mean. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it. We went into those Olympics, and you had circled two two events, right? I think, right? I did. Um, I, I can't even remember what the other event was. Ten K, ten K freestyle, ten K, right? Yeah, all right, all right. Ten right. K freestyle. You thought um, Jesse Diggins could win that and could medal in that ten K, um, and you had clearly circled this team sprint, um, right? I think um, uh, the Americans had won a gold in a World Championships. Um, the year before, three years no, before, it was two, three years 20, before, right? 2013. It was quite a while. Oh, it was yeah. quite a while. Okay. Five years, five years before. That's right. Five years before. So, so it, you know, the gold medal had happened before, but, but this really coming into it, we had circled that day. Um, but we went into, it, it was like the men's cross country skiing was almost a diversion for us for the women's <laughs> events. Cause, cause every time the women would take the, take to the snow, um, take to the track, we would get amped up and think maybe this will be the day. The women are going to medal today. The women are going to medal today because the team was that good. Um, but we really had our eyes set on the team sprint day the whole time. Um, and it, we were building up to that for the entire Olympics. Um, for the entire Olympics, we were building to this moment. And, and in a way, you can only do at the Olympics, right? Right, you right. Can't, you yeah. can't do it at a random event, at a one-off event. Um, only at the Olympics can you tell these stories as you're going. And if people are watching, if people are really watching um, every night, they're going to be building up with us. And that's really what we tried to do as we headed into the team sprint. Yeah. Steve, what do you remember about prepping for that day? Like, you know, just to put it in, in people's – to set it up for folks listening. You know, we called that – I think we called that race at 1 a.m., isn't that – It was definitely in, the middle of the night. 
Yeah, it was. I think it was like one to two a.m. and and. Uh, we called the we called the, the the semifinals too. Like we called the whole thing live. We could semifinals and finals. Um, you know, I know what I was thinking. I, I, Steve, what wh- what do you remember about prepping for that that show? I just remember thinking about what you guys were just talking about and the fact that we had the recipe for a great moment going in, but you needed all the ingredients, right? If you had three quarters of the ingredients, but you were missing one or two, it wasn't going to have that special quality that we got. Had the Americans won a gold medal earlier, and this was their second gold medal. As exciting as that finish was, as close as it was, it still would have not resonated. But we checked every single box on the list of what's going to make this a huge transcendent moment. Exactly. Um, And I remember thinking, okay, um, you know, because we have all these things that are in play, this could be incredible. And I just remember thinking that um, it's a pretty straightforward race to call. Let's just make sure we're ready. All right. Let's make sure we're ready for the significance of it that we don't blow it. (laughs) We don't get distracted, whatever the case might be. I thought I blew it. it, (laughs) That we're just on top of it. Um, And, you know, it's it's funny because, uh, you know, the way you called it. And I think to this day, when I'm asked about this and other interviews and things like that, the way you reacted, Chad, um, is really what put it over the top in the best way possible. It what really sold. I mean, if we had just both been excited in a traditional sense, it would have gotten some play and some traction, right. but nowhere near the attention it got. It's because of the way you came in. I mean, barging through the door with the <laughs> here comes Diggins when I was yeah. in the, the middle of the call like that, um, that made the difference. And that allowed everything else to, I think, be magnified. That's when people went back and watched it a second or third yeah. time and you know got more excited about it. Uh, you know, that was the key moment. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I want to I interject there because I don't think a lot of people realize that I, what I did was a big no-no in 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 commentary, and, and in a lot of ways it was it could you could have taken a lot of offense to it, but but um, you know I don't I don't necessarily remember thinking what I was doing at the time until after the call, and I realized because you're supposed to take it home, and, and to be clear, I think that the, that the, it was a two-way street. I think me going berserk and you saying nothing wouldn't have worked either. I think you kept us on the you kept us. You, you kept the context and you let me be the guy seeing his his country win their first medal in a sport that he hasn't seen in his lifetime. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't re- I, I don't even remember calling it, to be honest with you. Like, I, I actually thought you, you I blacked said, out. I didn't I didn't I didn't <laughs> black out. Rushing through his head, of course, I, I, I just I want to give everyone context too who doesn't yeah. understand how we how we're doing this. Right. So what Chad's referring to is one of his rules that I know he's always lived by is when it comes to the finish line, that's the play-by-play guy, right? The analyst gets out of the way and lets the play-by-play guy get him across the line. And Chad was stepping on Steve the entire time, <laughs> right? That's, that's one. Another rule that we're supposed to live by um, for the Olympics, as even though we are the U.S. broadcasters right. um, at NBC, we are not part of Team USA. Right. There is no we. Uh, it is not us. Right. It is not. We are not Americans. It is Team USA. Right. The Americans won, not we won. Right. Um, and and obviously and Chad's call is, you know, borders on being very homer. 
I, <laughs> it was a total homer. I just didn't say we. <laughs> but all that being said, yeah. What if you look at any of the great calls in sports history, um, they're all from the heart, right? right? And uh, the ones that have the canned lines that they planned and prepared are not as good. But the raw reactions um, that are, are just real are always the best. And this was, for both of you, yeah. you could feel the energy yeah. I mean, I, I've watched that the clip. I think it's like the last like 30, 40 seconds of the race so many times. Um, and it, it's so cl it's such a great race. And the two of you are so in the moment. Yeah. And and you capture it perfectly. Right. Chad, you capture the American fan perfectly in your call. And Steve, the way you sum up the moment after she crossed the line was perfect. It was perfect. I, I mean, it really it really was done. Perfectly. And and listen, I'm going to give everyone a real insight into NBC. When we called this, we were not on air. Right. We were not airing anywhere live. We called it live, right. but we were not on air live. And it was going to air in prime time hours later on prime time. And um, I, you know, and the big question was, did we cross a line? And I even I reached out to the powers that be at NBC and I and I over explained what the call was and what the meaning was and they were all to 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 a, to a person of, of the on the most important people that work on the olympics for nbc they were all agreed we're okay okay this moment works just as it is and i remember i i've never really said this to anybody but i remember right after we did it i hadn't listened to it back but I remember saying to you, Shames, I think we should recall it. I think we should recall this because you can do that if it doesn't air live as you're doing it. If you have some time and many times when you're calling the Olympics like this, it's it's in the case of if you need to fix something or there was something misstated like a fact, you can go back and recall certain sections and they edit it in for the actual airing. Um, and I remember saying to you, I think we should recall it just because in my head, I always get like that just naturally. I'm like, oh, you can always do it better. All right. You can be you know, just here or there. And I'm a perfectionist. I, I always like to think that I can do something better. And at the, you know, at the time there was so much adrenaline, I was probably thinking to myself, you know what, we, we should probably just do it again and get one for safety or whatever the case might be. And I hadn't listened to it back. And luckily you shot that down. <laughs> and, and I did, I did shoot it down. Right? I, I, I had to do something to be part of this moment. Um, no, it, 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 for the record, right. To be clear, right. Almost everything is called live um, that we do at the Olympics. Um, almost everything is called live because they want that energy. They want to capture the moment, whether it's airing hours later or not. Um, they, we, we, we call it live. Um, and it's just in the case if we need to fix something. Or what also happens a lot in the Olympics, and this is no secret, is when things air later, sometimes we need to condense things for time. Um, and when you do that, sometimes you need to bridge from moment A to moment B, you need to bridge it better than what you can do if you just edit the live call together. So that's why we, we might recall things at times. Um, but, uh, but this was definitely a moment where we, we, we captured the emotion of it perfectly. And one of, one, of my, one of the best, so we were in Connecticut calling this from afar, right? That's how NBC saves money on this, these major events. So we're calling it from Connecticut. Um, but we had a producer and a, uh, a reporter in uh, Korea, in um, 
what they call the mix zone, which is where the, you know, where you interview the athletes afterwards. Um, they were there watching the race and there's a great video of the two of them watching the race and going crazy and getting so excited, right? They're, they're the only two Americans in a, probably a sea of Norwegians and Scandinavians, um, in, in this thing. And they are going crazy because again, this is a moment we've all been working towards for weeks. Yeah. I, I, I've obviously reflected on it a lot and, and, and Steve, you're right. I mean, I, I wasn't sure when we were done that I didn't screw it up. Like I was like, well, I even asked you, Shames, I've got, you know, I, I came at you kind of sheepish. I'm going to, did I mess it up? And, and, and Shames says, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I wasn't sure. And then, and I kind of felt bad because I, I definitely was a homer and I definitely stepped all over Schlanger, but, I, but I've thought about it since a couple things. And this is, the one thing that like shames you did a good job of like making me feel better about it but i still wasn't sure and i got an ovation from the sound techs walking out of the out of the sound stage and and then i was like okay that that resonated with them that's really cool that made me feel better but i, I thought about this a lot too steve because we've we've worked a lot and and steve and i weren't going to be doing cross-country skiing at the start of the games and we just ended up doing it and the three of us kind of where where the u.s women's ski program actually started competing well was about 2009 2010 when the three of us started working together on universal sports and i just thought back like if i had been even had had four years four fewer years of of commentating and even a year or two fewer of commentating with you two i don't think i would have had the guts to just be who i was that day like i think that there was like a perfect storm on that call for me personally in who I was working with and, and the comfort I had that I knew Schlanger, you know, I knew Schlanger wasn't going to beat me up for, 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 for being me, you know, because we knew each other really well. And, and I think that that was, that's kind of what made it special that you think of all the ways that call could have gone and, and it could have gone, you know, if the dynamic was different, it would have gone differently. And, and well, yeah, think, and yeah, some ahead. other play-by-play guys have said to me, like, boy, how did you like, you know, keep things together? You know, when Chad was yelling and everything and, um, and I think it's the familiarity that we have for sure. where even though it did surprise me the way you <laughs> reacted and I, yeah. I thought it was great, but it was, you know, it's jarring, for but sure. I know that's you yeah. and I know that, that you can get like that. So it doesn't really phase me. All right. right I know right. that at, at that point I'm trying to keep the train on the tracks, right? Yeah. I'm trying to steer, totally. steer it into the station. All right. Totally. And button it up, um, while, while you're doing your thing. And I think the fact that we had worked together and had that familiarity, I think that that, um, you know, helped tie it together the way it did. Yeah. No, yeah. I, 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 I really wish I had a video camera on the two of you in the booth because, um, first of all, I mean, Chad was standing up the entire final stretch and he's going, <laughs> yes, yes. And when, they, when he says gold after they cross the line, his arms are straight in the air and he's screaming. I mean, I've never seen, I mean, it just, Witnessing that, I wish that was part of the show uh, <laughs> as well. It was it was pretty amazing. Um, but it really and, and and what people don't understand too about what we we're trying to do is we we call this live, but then we're we're this was going to air on prime time, NBC, um, which for a lot of these some of these sports right that's rare real estate right. um, on the TV side is to be in the prime time show, and um, uh, I think we were given eleven minutes in the primetime show to show this race. And I think the race is what, a 20 plus minute race. Yeah. Yeah. About 20 right? minutes. Yeah. So we, we were only able to show 11 minutes of this race. So we needed to maximize every moment of it. 
And again, what was great is in, in the moment, in the live call, you guys were able to call it correctly, right? It was way closer than I think it even felt when we watched the right. live, right? right? Watching it live, it was clear that she had won. But when you watch it back, you're like, wow, that was much closer right. <laughs> than you yeah. think. But you guys nailed it. Um, and then Steve, again, you, you kept, you summed up the moment perfectly yeah. right after the race ended. So we didn't have to waste any of our precious primetime real estate on some, you know, on recapping what happened. Right. We didn't need to spend minutes after the race right. to tell the story of the race. You told it perfectly. And it really, um, it, it was really, again, it was, it's an, it, it was an honor to be a part of, of that moment. You, you don't get many moments like no. that in, in, in what we do. Um, and that was truly, uh, it was, it was, it was a privilege. And, and I want to say, I think that, I think that, um, I, I get a lot of, I get maybe an undue amount of attention for what I did because it was so jarring, as you say, Steve, but Steve, you were a master at handling, like at, at bringing the call home. I think that if you hadn't done what you did, I don't think the call would be what it is. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I think I've said, I wrote a, I wrote an article for a, a ski magazine. I said, I, I think my, my point was you could live three lifetimes and never get an, an, an opportunity like that again you know, in, in sports television. No. And that's what I've said when people have asked me or in other interviews and things like that. I mean, so many things have to come together, right? <laughs> I mean, so many things have to fall into place. If one misses its mark, then you don't have the same significance and the same meaning of that moment. And, you know, if I'm not working with you, Chad, if it's a different analyst, yeah. right, it doesn't, it doesn't get elevated. If we don't have that history of working together, right. um, if we don't have the narrative that had been building, you know, for the U.S. team, I mean, so many of these things just worked out. Um, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of times things don't work out, right? I mean, you go in thinking you're going to have a great story for an event, and it's a dud. It's a blowout, <laughs> or, or something happens, and it just doesn't pan out. That happens a lot. Right. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, how many yeah. games have you done, right? You, uh, right? I, we, we've all done a lot of different productions. For sure. A lot of different sport productions. Sure. And when you, when you might do a phenomenal production, from, from our side of things, from the truck, you might, everything's perfect. You told all the right stories. Everything was great. But the game's a blowout. So, and I'm not working with the director. You've been like, wow, that, that was a horrible show. I'm like, no, we did a great show, but the, the game wasn't that great. But then you might do be part of a horrible production and, <laughs> you know, nothing goes right, but it comes down to the wire and it's this great moment at the end. And everyone walks away saying, wow, we did a fantastic job, but it was the <laughs> game that was great. But for us again, right? We really, everything really came together, um, really well, um, to make that moment. And I mean, I play that clip for people so often and, and they're like, well, what did you do? I'm like, well, I sat and watched. But, <laughs> no, but I, no, you do. Well, you, you know, you set that up. I mean, the reason no, I wanted no, you no, on this, course, James, yeah. is because I think like, so a lot of people don't realize that people hear of me, me and St Steve and I speak on TV, but they don't really understand what a producer does. And a producer sets up the moment more than anybody. And, and I think that that's, that's like, that's why I wanted you on this podcast because I knew you understood endurance sports. I think you understood what made that endurance sport day special and, and what made this call special. And, and, and so I'll wrap it up. Um, will we see another one of these in the Olympics, this, in these Olympics? I mean, we think about the Michael Phelps, the, the uh, Rowdy Gaines call, Rowdy Gaines and, and, uh, and Dan Hicks call of, it actually isn't Phelps. It, it's uh, Jason Lezak. Oh, that, the, that was a great call. Um, is there, is there anything that you guys see from these games coming up that, that 
that can be a here comes Diggins moment for NBC, for the United States and for American television. Uh, I mean, I think, again, you kind of look at the, ma- at the quote unquote major sports of the Olympics and on the track and field side, um, right. You got Alison Felix going for sure. Right. If she is able to accomplish a gold medal, yeah. which is a long shot, but if she's for able sure. to do it, it could be an amazing moment. Absolutely. Um, if um, Caleb Dressel has a chance uh, to do some really special races um, in swimming um, that I think could be um, really great moments. Um, but uh, and again, it, for, for, for NBC, it's got, it, it really would need to be the American story for sure. to, to make it that ultra special moment. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, you can't, it seems like there are certain times in history where you can plan for it. Like we circled that date right. and knew that there was a chance that it could happen. And, yeah, we were ready. And, 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 and I know that everyone on the, on the swimming production side in 2008 had eight for, you know, winning eight medals was a story going into it. Um, and, you know, and the two races that made it really special was that Jason Lezak moment. And then it was the, um, the butterfly race where he won by a fingernail. Right. right. But they were ready going into it. For sure. Um, and um, but I don't know if there is that kind of history making moment for these Olympics. These Olympics themselves are history making. For sure. Just the fact that they're happening. Yeah. And I and I and and, and that's a story that's going to be, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to work on the Olympics this year with some other commitments. So I'll be watching it as a viewer for the first time in, in, in years. Um, but I'm really um but you never know where that moment's going to be. Exactly. And you just always have to be ready. And that's the beauty of it. And that's right. what makes it the moment it is. I mean, think about it. Um, let's say going back to the Diggins race that, yes, the U.S. won the gold medal. But let's assume for a moment that coming around that final turn, Diggins had the lead and didn't have to come from behind. How different it might have been. You don't get the here comes Diggins call. Totally. You don't get that same I'm getting vibe. chills just thinking about it. I, I mean, here, right. here's, the, here's the, the reason I went nuts is because she shouldn't have been coming back. She shouldn't have been able to beat Steena Nielsen. Steena Nielsen won the sprint comfortably a few days prior. And, and the fact that Diggins beat her. And, and the one thing that was amazing to me is I, I saw Diggins pull the, the sprint out of Steena Nielsen earlier in the race. She did it on lap two and she did it on lap three. And, 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 and Nine times out of ten, Diggins doesn't come back and win the gold medal. But that day, she raced a race from wire to wire that showed up in the final stretch, and that's why I was going crazy. <laughs> it's those. It's like I said. It's those those Details. little things. It's, it's yeah. like Lezak coming from behind. Totally. You don't come from behind like that in the pool, right? <clears throat> no, I mean, you don't make up that kind of ground against the best. And, and Lezak and the Diggins thing was the same thing. Lezak was going yeah. against yeah. the best sprinter Bernard, right? in the yeah. Alain Bernard, and, and and nobody expected Lezak to come back. And I didn't expect Diggins to win when she was behind on the apex of the turn. But, but let me say this. Let me say this though. Right when you watch that Jason Lezak race back the moment you can feel the moment where rowdy gains as the analyst where rowdy gains sees it start to happen totally you feel it yep. happen where, yep. where you, you 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 can sense it and i, I feel the same is true with this race because because when diggins came back i could feel it yeah you could feel that it was going to happen how many times we watch a cycling race or right or, or a sprint race like this where people slingshot from behind it's almost right. the perfect position to be in in these sprint races, right? Steve, you've called a million cycling races that being in that, in the, in the, in that slingshot position, you, you're like, there it is. They're, they're going to do it. And I, you could feel it happening. And again, the, 
that here come, when you said here comes Dickens right before that right. was the moment of like this is about going to happen. happen exactly I, that was my Rowdy Gaines and, moment and, right and there you guys and you guys right you can feel it feel coming it, out yeah, of totally. you guys too because you because you guys know the sport so well we you know we we're all so well prepared for the moment that yeah. when it happened we could see it coming see it. Yeah, and yeah. you could get the call right and it was great yeah it's, and because it, you know because it's these moments are so small and you know they're defined by you know you know milliseconds right that's that's why there's so few of them i mean if you think right. back i mean there's been a lot of you know great gold medal performances and for sure things that have happened at the olympics but when we're putting it in this kind of context with the call the moment the significance you can't think of that many of them right no that that have that kind of place in history lucky us well, i mean you're, you're <laughs> blanking you're blanking their gun and hopefully you know hopefully we'll get some yeah. uh we'll get some in the next uh, few weeks because the olympics are they're truly amazing well, guys, that's exactly why I wanted to do this because the Olympics are around the corner in Tokyo, and um, and, and and they create great moments. The Olympic the Olympic Games are about moments like what the three of us uh, experienced in television in America three years ago. And um, you know, I, I don't expect to have another one. I don't another one like that. And and I wanted to take some time. And this has been really fun personally because we've actually never really gotten to do this as the three of us. So I really appreciate you guys doing this for the public and doing doing it for the record. And, and being, being my guest on Threshold today. Chad, thanks for having us. Your love of endurance sports might be building a comradeship that feels to you like a pretty big market of people. But the growth might be right in line with population growth. And still, honestly, it's probably pretty niche. Initiatives like Universal Sports, now the Olympic Channel, have tried to deliver what you find compelling in a digestible way to folks who don't participate in these sports at all and are maybe just finding these as as fans. This podcast and my job as a TV analyst for skiing play to that very growth instinct. We have more ways than ever before to feel akin to others. We all feel like our own interests have a broader reach than they actually probably do though. When you ride or you ski daily or weekly with a bunch of folks just like you, it feels like a big crowd because you're enveloped in it. But I invite you to consider all the people you see from the time you leave your home for an endurance sports outing with your friends to coming back through the front door and all the people you've seen in between leaving and coming home. When you're waxing poetic about the nuance of the tour of the biathlon or Nordic World Championships or World Cups, how many of all those folks you passed in that time might go home and watch those events as well? How many of them will then watch the Vikings or the Packers or the Seahawks or the Patriots or whatever NFL team is in your area? Just look at my life compared to, say, Tony Romo's, and the relativity is pretty apparent. And these networks don't run on the same instinct we assert about the value of the sports we're interested in. They research. They know the numbers. They are thorough. And they put their money where they can make the most from it. That's both good and possibly bad. So, keep watching. It can only help the growth of the programming you love. That's why Here Comes Diggins is probably a gift. It certainly feels so to me. That's Threshold for this episode. I'm Chad Salmala. Thanks for listening.